Welcome to the One Thing Podcast, where we all get to practice dancing with the one thing that individuals, communities, and countries have yet to try. And the one thing that we're talking about consistently in our time together is the connection to the higher, our higher self, our, the, the part of our anatomy that is beyond our physical body, our human self, and our prime directive above all else. If, if you can believe that, is to make and constantly return to the connection to this part of ourselves. So we're calling this the one thing or taught. It's, we're calling it taught connection. And it, it works best if we do this day in and day out as our first step in dealing with life problems, just the things that come up every day, all day, rather than viewing life problems as separate issues and then we run over here to our spiritual connection and then we come over here and deal with a problem and you know it there's these compartmentalized ways that we tend to do that <laughs> and what we're actually going to talk about in this episode is bringing this source of life into our days all day long and basically just covering the nitty-gritty of nitty-gritty of moving through each day by staying connected to our higher self the source of all life especially in these times um, where there is no foundation like there used to be, like things are shifting in, in life, right? It, we can see it everywhere. They're shifting on all fronts. And so um, this, this sometimes feels like it's all we've got in terms of a, a solid grounding to stand on. So true. So true. And what Lori and I have been noticing in ourselves and in other people is that uh, there, there's the sense that we're depressed or that, that, that certain people are depressed. And uh, we, we want to <clears throat> propose a reframing for some of that. So the caveat here is depression really is a, a, a real condition for some people. And that stands on its own. What we're finding is that some of us are mischaracterizing what we're going through as depression in contrast to authentic depression. And the thing that we're seeing is getting mislabeled as depression when it's not actually depression is turning out to actually be grief. Mm -hmm. And what we're going to go over with you is, is seven things that we're finding that people tend to be in grief about and oftentimes are mislabeling that as depression when it's grief, again, in contrast to authentic depression. So why don't you and I alternate those seven things? You want to say what the first has been? Sure. So what we've noticed is that um, relationships might be changing during these times. You know, there's it's definitely a... Uh, it's not the same as it was, let's just say pre-pandemic. And so either the relationships feel like they're changing or they're being disrupted, or maybe they've even ended. And this could be, this could be all, this is, we're referencing all of our relationships, our family relationships, friendships, you know, uh, business associates, um, all the relationships that we consider to be something important in our life there, you know, they, there may be some change to that. And anytime there's 
time there's change, it feels like a loss. And as you've probably heard, anytime we have a grief, we end up kind of feeling the grief that we've had for all all things in our life and maybe even in our DNA and along our lifeline in our ancestry or in our lineage. And so oftentimes when we use the word grief, it just feels like, oh, someone has died. And while that's of course true, um, it also means all the things that never came to fruition in a life that we would we could feel grief about that having been the case or the loss of a job or you know livelihoods or you know, you know, there's just a long list. So that, that would be our first one is, is relationships changing. And I'll piggyback on that because it's tied to some of what you were just saying, which is another form of relationship grief. That's kind of like group relationship grief, which is about losing our community, being, feeling shunned, not only by certain individuals, which happens sometimes, but uh, but feeling shunned by an entire community of people that we felt a part of before, but our beliefs around certain issues going on today have, for some people, resulted in them being shunned by entire communities or groups. Mm -hmm. So that can feel depressing and on one level, it actually is. The reason that we're emphasizing these things as grief is because if you're trying to treat depression because it's depression, then the techniques that work with that can be useful. But if you're trying to treat grief as though it's depression, then it's the wrong tool for the job. Grief calls for grieving uh, in contrast to some things that can be useful with depression. So that's a second aspect of grieving is losing a community you've been connected with. Exactly. And, you know, even even like a lot of people were would go to church, uh, or even if it was a spiritual sort of community, or uh, maybe they went to classes, or, you know, all those kinds of communities that we considered ourselves a part of that had to sort of halt during the pandemic. Um, some were able to go back to those communities and some weren't. So that's, that's what, uh, that's another way of considering the community. And then another thing is missing the certainty that we once had, like, you know, we all know the sun's going to come up and then the moon's going to come up, whether we see it or not. But there are a lot of other things in life that we took for granted as certain that seem to be shifting under our feet, even as we speak. And so, you know, a human mind appreciates certainty. Um, the heart and our, and especially connected to our higher self, always knows that things are going to be okay, but sometimes it's hard to walk that line. So, um, you know, a, a way of grieving could be just grieving that certainty, the loss of that certainty. Yeah. And what often accompanies that loss of certainty is questioning our own judgment. Mm -hmm. when, when, the, when, when the world doesn't any longer seem to be what we thought it was, or we don't any longer seem to be who we thought we were, then there's oftentimes an accompanying sense of, well, what, what do I trust? I mean, do, do I, do I trust my own opinions? Do I, um, is, is what feels like intuition inside me actually intuition or is it my ego talking or is it my inner critic talking or is it my fear talking? So there's that kind of questioning our own judgment when we hadn't 
been questioning it before. And of course, what accompanies that is grief over, or can be, it's, it's not in all people, but what can accompany that is grief over having been able to trust our judgment in the past, but now we're really wondering if we can continue to do that. So the, that's another variation on, on grieving the loss of certainty. Yeah, that's a good point. And this is why we're emphasizing this connection to the one thing, to the source of life, because it actually becomes our North Star and our, you know, our system of guidance in these uncertain times. And when we do need to make um, choices and, and listen to our intuition and that kind of thing. So um, I, I just, you know, can't say enough about how vital it is to cultivate this relationship because I just don't know how to survive the stormy seas without <laughs> without those sails and, and a solid mast, so to speak. Another way that one might be noticing um, a, a grieving, so to speak, is just having to let go of who you once were. Like a lot of us are um, shifting who we are to to accommodate life as, as we know it today. And so it's hard to let go of, of our old previous self. You know, I'll just use one simple example that doesn't have anything to do with current times. But um, years ago, when I went through menopause, I had to let go of the fertile woman that I was, you know, having nothing to do with getting old or being, you know, being not being young per se anymore, but letting go of myself as a fertile woman, like that was a thing. And so that's just an example of releasing who we once were. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what accompanies that feeling of releasing who we once were oftentimes is initially feeling lost and unanchored. So the sense of, oh, well, I, I used to think I knew how the world worked or how the universe worked or who I was or how I rolled or who I could count on in my life or things like that. And very much like the metaphor of the phoenix. So the, the, metaf uh, the, the symbolic bird, the metaphorical bird called the phoenix, it goes through cycles through a long lifetime and the the cycle of the mythological bird the phoenix is that it's in this magnificent plumage and suddenly this plumage goes up in flame it goes up in smoke it's it it, it disappears and it seems like the phoenix has died but then lo and behold there's a rebirth process and the phoenix comes back to life and then gradually redevelops new plumage and then that new plumage goes up in flame etc cyclically in that kind of way and so of course the part of that cycle that has to do with feeling lost and unanchored is when our plumage seems to have gotten gone up in flames, uh, our, our sense of ourselves, our sense of the universe, our sense of our place in life, whatever it might be, our sense of purpose. Um, and so that period, those periods of feeling lost and unanchored are, for most of us, part of the rhythm of life. Hopefully we don't spend a long time in that stage, but most of us experience those periods, those chapters in our lives. And 
that's a grieving process, grieving the loss of who we were or how we thought the world worked, et cetera, et cetera, prior to the full emergence of the the transformed and elevated version of our understanding of all of that that's going to take place but hasn't emerged yet. Yeah, yeah, good, good uh, description of all of that. And um, then our set, our seventh and our last uh, thing to look out for to just notice if this is if this is something happening for you. Um, it's it's nice to understand what's going on right in ourselves uh, and that you're not alone there, there's a lot of people that are going through this so it, it often feels like when we're in something when we're in it <laughs> um, that we're alone and and it's just good to hear that you're not so the last one is losing traditions that you loved so you know that, that there's a lot of traditions that we might have participated in that are either on hold or probably aren't going to come back, or you know, it's it's a spectrum, and so or that used to be resonant for us, but don't resonate for us anymore. Yeah. So another analogy could be the caterpillar to the butterfly and the chrysalis, right? So the butter or the caterpillar gets to crawl along on the ground and eat leaves and the way that caterpillars eat leaves. And then when there's a chrysalis experience, it is not comfortable in there, as you've probably read. And there's no way to rush. The caterpillar cannot rush itself through the chrysalis because it takes the time that it takes, right? But on the other end, there's the, the freedom of the butterfly. And the butterfly doesn't do the same things as the caterpillar does. So there's there, there, there's traditions that the butterfly is losing from being a caterpillar that it now has different things that it's creating for being a butterfly. So that's just another way to consider losing traditions that you once loved. And a word that you may have heard that summarizes that is metamorphosis. Yes. So yeah. morph is change. That's yeah. that's what the, 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 the Latin morph means. And meta is change at a meta level in other words change that's not about something that kind of looks like what it was before but it's just gone a next step further uh, a butterfly doesn't look like a caterpillar it's a meta change large change yes yeah. so when we're going to go deeper now because what we've just laid the foundation for in uh, in identifying different forms that grief can take is that in going deeper, what's beneath all of these kinds of grief, they're all variations on something that again, on the surface, sometimes look like it looks like it's depression, but unlike authentic depression, it's not, it's grief. And what's underneath that grief is something that I have long referred to as disorientation fear. And what disorientation fear is, is where I once thought that I knew what was what having to do with whatever that was, what was what in my career or in my relationships or in my relationship to the one thing or uh, wh whatever it might happen to be, how society works, what humanity is about. I, I once knew, thought I knew what, what was what. And now that's crumbling and I am disoriented. What seemed clear to me is no longer clear to me. And there is a particular kind of fear that's associated with that. And it's a fear having to do with not 
having learned, not having been taught, not having been trained in how to navigate with grace, disorientation, a state of disorientation. So I call that disorientation fear. And we're going to unpack some aspects of disorientation fear next. So do you want to handle sure. that first one? I, sure. I think it's important to know, you know, we know that there's one could take medication for depression. Um, one doesn't normally get a medication that's specific for grief unless the doctor, you know, or the prescribing physician thinks that it's important enough because there's uh, depression. But what David and I are talking about, there's actually no medication for. <laughs> the medication is more of a personal medicine. It comes from our soul. It comes from our connection to um, the one thing. It comes from higher presence because that's actually the medicine that's called for when we're shifting from, you know, from one aspect of who we are to a higher, more elevated. We're always expanding and growing. So when I say elevated, I'm talking about the next version of ourselves, the next expanded version of ourselves. And the only remedy that we actually have in order to find ourselves through that chrysalis, you know, or through the pile of ashes of the phoenix is to go deeper, is to go inward and to be an inquiry and to connect even even greater um, and to be kind with oneself and tender and soft and you know find ways to accept you know to be in a, in a place of acceptance of what's going on and even forgiveness if that's possible i know sometimes it's like i can't get near that and and I, that's understandable but you know you can certainly get near speaking kindly to yourself or being soft with yourself, that kind of thing. And that we can even call on our higher presence and ask to be given, gifted, a greater capacity to be kind, soft, and, and open with ourselves and to, to feel more loving with ourselves through a process such as this. This is wisdom and it, you know, it comes on the wings of grace. And it's it's um it's a beautiful thing when when you are sort of um receptive, I guess, enough to feel the subtlety of that. If we're banging around inside the chrysalis and trying to, you know scratch and claw our way out that's there's usually too much noise and all of that to feel the receptivity of the grace of love and wisdom and and tenderness that we could have for ourselves when we're going through something like this and this is medicine we don't ever get taught that but this is medicine right it's not medication it's medicine exactly and you know what occurred to me as you were just describing all of that about tenderness is to read a quote that you uncovered recently Good. because it just seems really apropos. So I just opened it up to read to us. <clears throat> it's about kindness. The kindest people are not born that way. They're made. They are the souls that have experienced so much at the hands of life. They are the ones who have dug themselves out from the dark, who have fought to, every, uh, to turn every loss into a lesson. The kindest people do not just exist. They choose to soften 
where circumstance has tried to harden them. They choose to believe in goodness because they have seen firsthand why compassion is so necessary. They have seen firsthand why tenderness is so important in this world. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And it speaks to the idea that we are at cause in cultivating and curating this level of um, transformation that we can't avoid with kindness and tenderness. Yes. And the art of that is in part connected to emerging from something that I have long referred to as paradigm attachment disorder, which is, it sounds like a real, you know, psychological diagnosis, but it's not. It's not a, a true psychological diagnosis. But what it is, is that I've become so attached to who I think I am and how I think the world works and whatever other aspects of my belief system that I would rather be right than anything else. I'd rather be right than happy. I'd rather be right than clear. I'd rather be right than accurate. I'd rather be right than loving. I'd rather be right than, uh, right than collaborative, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, you know, disorientation fear, the heart of, of, of that rigidity that can sometimes accompany disorientation fear in contrast to surrendering into a transformative process is that when we practice, when we adhere to, when we're loyal to a particular way of viewing ourselves, a paradigm for viewing ourselves, a particular way, a paradigm of viewing the world, and that view seems like it's in, at risk of crumbling, we fear that we won't know who we are anymore if we let it crumble. So the issue in going deeper and, and moving through and beyond disorientation fear is shifting from paradigm attachment disorder to paradigm metamorphosis, allowing our paradigm to shift more in the direction of love and wisdom than it might have been up until now through our connection with the one thing. And what that's connected to, what, the, what I'm also describing on a psychological level, is has been called for a very long time something, a term in, in developmental psychology that was first coined by those of you who know the field of education or, or developmental psychology, the, uh, the famous developmental psychologist named Jean Piaget, P-I-A-G-E-T, Piaget, P-I-A-J-E-T, G-E-T. Yeah. No, I just confused myself. <laughs> I went into disorientation. And, <laughs> and that term, that concept is assimilation versus accommodation. Translated into everyday English, when we're faced with an outside-the-box experience, whatever that might be, something that our existing paradigm, our existing belief system doesn't explain readily, we have one of two choices, and in the te they're technically called assimilation versus accommodation. 
One choice is that we can allow the outside the box experience to metamorphose, to transform our pre-existing belief system into an expanded or new version of a belief system. The other is that we can, the other choice that's available to us is to twist the outside the box experience into something that it really wasn't so that it doesn't threaten our pre-existing belief system, our pre-existing paradigm, so that we keep our pre-existing paradigm intact, even though the outside the box experience would otherwise have called us to transform that belief, that set of beliefs in a way that requires us to move through disorientation fear in order to get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to, and to surrender, David said these words to surrender rather than hold tight. You know, it's, it's a practice to surrender. And I, uh, you know, there, none of this gets to happen in a, in the best way possible, no transcendence, no full metamorphosis, metamorphosis without our connection to the one thing, because we, that's what facilitates the 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 fullness of what we get to have on the other side of where we started and so um you know not to belabor the point but if all you do for the rest of your life is cultivate this connection and curate your your transformations with this connection you will be doing really really well <laughs> yes which leads us to wanting to describe to you our sense of what a taught-oriented perspective, a perspective that's connected to the one thing, to, to higher wisdom, a taught-oriented perspective about disorientation, fear, grief, and paradigm attachment disorder. Yeah, and, and what feels like loss to a human, yeah. Yeah. So speaking of loss, you want to do the first... Sure. Yeah. So from the perspective of our higher wisdom, which, you know, it bears, um, it makes good sense to say that this part of ourselves is already whole and complete and, um, and doesn't feel broken or not enough or disempowered or any of those kinds of things and understands that energy never is lost. You know, we know this, I think it's the second law of, th of thermo thermodynamics. It, it doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. It just changes. Right. So the idea is that when we have a loss, it feels like a loss. Of course, it's a true loss, especially if it's a death at the level of being human, but nothing is truly lost. So when we can stay in that connection with our higher self, we get um, like a slow drip of understanding that nothing is ever lost. When if we don't have that connection, you know, it's more of a feeling of being bereft because the feeling of loss is so overwhelming, like a tidal wave kind of thing. So yeah, that's yeah. probably the best way. Uh, and uh, those of you who aren't familiar with the law of thermodynamics that Laurie's talking about, it's energy can neither be created nor destroyed. And what Laurie is saying is, but it can be transformed. Yes, it's always changing form. I mean, that's just the right. nature of life. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. So that to us is one of a number of things we're now going through that you might want to practice holding in your awareness while you're going through disorientation, fear, grief, or letting go of an old paradigm. A second thing to 
be aware of that can help you reframe your experience around these things is that it seems as though energy is going faster and vibrations are moving higher. And what looks like things getting worse is actually the last gasp attempts of quote unquote the powers that be trying to prevent transformation from happening. So there's an old saying from uh, from Eastern tradition, what the the um, caterpillar to go back to caterpillar and butterfly, what the caterpillar calls the end of the world, the enlightened being calls a butterfly. And so what looks like the end of the world, what looks like things getting worse right now, and there really are ways or levels on the surface that things I believe are looking like they're getting worse. But if we get lost in that level of things, then we can't see the forest for the trees, which is that th these are last gasp attempts by the old paradigm to continue to force that old paradigm to stay in place, even though it's already been transcended, it's already been metamorphosed. So you might consider holding your awareness of how things seem to be getting worse in a, a more lighthearted and light spirited way that they that getting worse, getting worseness isn't necessarily what it seems to be. It's yeah. the darkness before the breakthrough. Right, right, exactly. Um, you know, you've probably heard things always seem to be breaking down even more just right before the breakthrough. So um, whatever right before the breakthrough means on the world stage collectively, who knows in terms of time. <laughs> Some days I'm like, when, when are we going to get there? <laughs> I, as I imagine you might too, but patience is also part of it. So the other thing is, you know, we think we know who and how we are. And um, what I would invite you to consider is that maybe maybe there's more to know that you don't know. I know this is true for me and that when I request and inquire and connect and ask to be shown what's what who I really am, then I, it, it's there's just a, there's a spaciousness in who I feel myself to be rather than a, a tension around who I think I am. And this is true at the collective level too. like in order for us to create, new systems and, and new ways of being um, that that will come out of this big old metamorphosis that we're going through individually and collectively. Uh, we have to be connected so that we can co-create in ways that are serving at levels we've never known before in human history. And that's why we're doing what we're doing here together, because we, we want to facilitate that in the ways that we know how to. There's lots of people doing that, but this is our way. Yes. And I'm going to introduce another word, not to belabor it at all, but it's another it's another word to describe that uh, what we're talking about in case you come across it, which is transmute, transmuting. Right. Right. Uh, it's it's beyond transcendence. It's beyond transformation. It's really another word for metamorphosis. So in case you encounter that word, it's just it's another word for metamorphosis. Right. Okay. So another aspect of, uh, of holding these upheavals 
in a lighter way is recognizing that our current levels of societal stress and confusion might actually be calling us, and Lori and I believe that this is actually so, we're, we're inviting you to consider that it might be, that these are calling us into greater or higher levels of awareness of and fuller alignment with who we truly are. Mm -hmm. Meaning that, you know, some of you uh, resonate with the term higher self for example. And for those of you who resonate with that way of naming the one thing, that that higher self is our more deeply and fully authentic spiritual self, the, the self that's not caught in the animal version of being human, the version of being human that's run by our limbic system, by fight and fleeing and freezing and playing possum, playing dead. That's, that's all, you know, reptile brain. That's lower version of being human. And we're getting called to the higher version of being human, not being run by our reptile brain, but being run by our higher awareness, our higher self, the, the top connected us that we are. Yeah, beautiful. And, and, and just to ex expand on that just a little bit, we're being called to integrate this, this higher version of ourselves in into and with our humanity so that we are vessels for co creating goodness on the earth, if you will. Um, I, I love the line that, you know, if, if you like the word God or, or love or divine love or whatever, uh, if, if we're going to change things in the world, um, that energy needs bodies and we're it. <laughs> so, you know, offering ourselves to be cleansed and purified of things that no longer serve old parts of old ways, old paradigms and, and um, you know, leaving behind what no longer serves in favor of receiving a higher version of ourselves while we're in this lifetime, while we're, while we're in this animated physical experience, then, uh, then things get to be a little bit different. And uh -huh. this, this is the thing that, you know, we're asking, we're hoping on a, you know, like a real, like a real global scale happens in a way that it's never happened before. Apparently that's what we're in for, but we need to know what we're doing in order to be in for it. <laughs> yeah. And so it, were you going to say something? Yeah. I, I was just going to, say that in in that sense it's a blessing that we don't feel like we have firm footing and we want to encourage you to contemplate that if you don't feel like you have firm footing or that we collectively don't have firm footing right now that that might actually be a blessing rather than a curse and what accompanies that i think you were going to say which is that if it's if it's a blessing rather than a curse, the only way that it gets to be a blessing is through. Yeah. The one thing, our connection to, to the source of all life, right. To the <laughs> universal field, not to be redundant, but you know, get used to it. <laughs> um, and it, it, it's also another way of considering the gift of fear at the level of a, of a spiritual gift, um, which is basically forcing our hand, if you will, to pay more attention to higher wisdom. It's, you know, it's, it's just causing us to look 
beyond our own fear-based, narrow-minded way of perceiving what's happening and what's true or not true and reaching into a dimension that holds answers, uh, possibilities, um, and blessings for us if we, if we, if we teach ourselves to be open and receptive to receiving that connection. Yes. And so I want to tie that back into lower human versus higher human. The, the lower human, the human animal reactivity to fear is what I was saying before. Fight, run away, freeze like a deer in the headlights, or play possum, play dead, faint. The, those reactions to fear lock us into a lower human animal state. The higher human spiritual elevated state is to recognize fear, not to deny it, not to walk around in the world going, oh, I'm not afraid. <laughs> I, yeah, we have moments of fear, but to treat those moments of fear as a call from our higher wisdom to pay attention, not just to pay attention, any old attention, but pay attention to higher wisdom perspectives about what we're going through, love-based perspectives about what we're going through. Right. It's a doorway. We could consider fear to be like a doorway. And when we can either stay and suffer <laughs> or we can go through the door, connect and receive everything we need in any given moment. Um, right. And, and, you know, misery is optional, but the thing is, so is believing that. Yeah. <laughs> That's optional too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So this is, you know, this is our invitation. This is what we practice on a daily basis. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. But, um, you know, the whole but perfection isn't required. It is not. It just, just the willingness to continue, um, building the muscle really is what we're talking about. So, um, and our, our higher selves, all of our higher selves, honestly, you know, the idea of unity while from a human mind seems absolutely impossible because how could we possibly be one with some of the shenanigans that people pull and all that stuff. But at the level, level of our higher self, that's at the level where unity is accessed. That's where we get to feel the true unification with all of our, you know, all of the, the collective, right. The, the, all of creation, if you will. And, um, you can't feel it without that connection. And, and so then it feels very separate and scary and disoriented. And so, yeah. So. And, and so what Lori want, and I want to propose to you around this reframing is two, two final thoughts before we get into the takeaways. One is that the crumbling that we're collectively and individually going through is meant to break us through to a place of harmony faster right. than if we weren't going through this crumbling and disorientation fear and all of that stuff. And the more each of us practices deepening and maintaining our returning to our connection with Tot over and over and over again all day long, the, the faster the crumbling will complete itself and the transmutation, the, metaf the, the metamorphosis will take hold because uh, and this, do you, you want to do this final point? I, 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 uh, before we go on to the takeaways, because it's it's so juicy, and and I know it's it's really precious to you. 
Sure. Yeah. So, you know, each of our higher selves has been waiting for an opening, if you will. And it's fair to say this, this experience that we've all been going through in the last couple of years, probably even to say fair in the last decade or two, but this decade in particular, the, the, you know, the start of 2020 has really been like a pedal to the metal kind of a thing, but it's, it's the, our higher selves. I mean, I don't know if this is true, but this is how I think it might be is that they're jumping for joy. Like, Oh good. We finally get to, you know, to go in and drop in some cosmic light force and start tending to the stress and reframing fear and creating orientation that isn't, isn't disconnected if you will. And, um, and, and that's, that's an opening that I think life herself at the level of universal connection has been waiting for. And, seems to be um, here. <laughs> so that leads us to the final part of what we want to cover with you today before we give you a sneak peek about the next episode, which is about five takeaways that we want to encourage you to consider doing. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, well, go ahead, sweetie. You, sure. you want to do the self-care one? Okay, so it, what we want to encourage you to do is is practice strengthening your day-long connection with the one thing. Strengthen, think of this strengthening of our connection and consistency of connection with the one thing as a way of building a muscle and building stamina. And one of the foundational pieces that's, in our experience, needed in order to be able to do that well is self-care because you know we all we all know each of us knows if we pay attention what our system needs in order to have a full cup in order to uh, have our life energy available to us and that if we don't know what our system needs if we think we don't know what our system needs in order to have a full cup our higher self does know that. Absolutely. So ask your higher wisdom, however you conceive of that, to show you more about that. Because this societal period, this, this global period of heightened distress and heightened fear and heightened anxiety, now, now of all times is not a time to skimp on self-care. Make sure you get seven to eight hours of sleep a night. Don't skimp on it. Just as one of many examples of self-care, chronic sleep deprivation harms our immune system. It harms our ability to think clearly. It harms our ability to stay emotionally centered. It's not a good thing to be in a chronic state of sleep deprivation as one example of, of a dimension that's important to elevate our self-care with. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we could go, we could do 
10 shows on self-care, but we're not going to go into the details per se, but just make sure that you know your self-care pieces and that you're tending them. And if you don't feel like you know how, then you've got to ask. I I literally talk to my higher self like she's my best friend. (laughs) You know, if I'm in the car and I need to work something out, I pretend she's sitting next to me in the passenger seat and I just have a conversation like I would with my best friend. And I'm suggesting that you get that intimate with this part of yourself because um, that part of your yourself will teach you that that intimacy is exactly what you're craving at the heart level. It's also the part of you that will teach you how to forgive yourself. This is another another um, consideration we're inviting you into is what do I need to accept all of me and to forgive myself for things that I have deemed unforgivable, right? Like just start with yourself. And this is where that softness and that kindness and that tenderness is really, really helpful because it can lead us into um, the capacity to forgive ourselves. There's some days when, you know, when things are going good, it's, you know, it's like, oh, there's some good, there's nothing to forgive my, but when things aren't going so good, I'm, I, my go-to default place is what the hell am I doing here on this planet? It is a, it's crazy. What, what, what did, what was I thinking? You know, that kind of thing. And I have to forgive myself for, thinking that I incarnated when I shouldn't have, which is not true. I know that at, the, at you know, every level that I chose very clearly to be here now, as we all did. So anyway, that's just one example of forgiveness. But um, keep that sort of on one of the front burners is that forgiveness is a, is, a, is a mechanism of healing and it's a medicine, just like we've mentioned in, you know, earlier the, of, of, you know, the, this connection, this tenderness is a medicine. Mm-hmm. Another practice, another takeaway to consider practice, practicing is letting go of, of a part of a belief system that has been very longstanding in, in much of humanity for a very, very long time, as in thousands of years. And that, that belief is in the, the savior-victim mindset. The, the mindset that says that someone or something is going to arrive finally that's going to save us uh, and just holding on with for dear life, white knuckling it so that we can somehow figure out a way to survive while we wait for the Savior to show up because until then we will be victims. We are the Savior we seek. Yeah in our highest self. So another takeaway then is practice letting go of being wedded to that age old savior victim belief pattern. Yeah. And you might want to revisit the episode we did. I don't know which one off the top of my head of self-responsibility because between these two dual polar opposites of savior victim is a, a center point of wisdom that is about self-responsibility, full responsibility. Spiritual self-responsibility, self-responsibility way beyond only the psychological levels of that. Absolutely. And then the other thing that we would invite you as as a takeaway is to, you know, include your connection with the one thing in everything you do. 
dressing salads, you know, um, grocery shopping, preparing a meal, taking walks with your beloved, folding the laundry, everything you're doing, if you include this connection with yourself, it will grow a lot faster rather than keeping your work life in this compartment and your family life in this compartment and your spiritual, you know, your attention to your spirituality in this compartment, bring them all together. And your higher self actually is the glue of all of that. It's the, it's the thing that weaves all of the compartments of your, of your life together into the tapestry that your heart really wants to be living from. Yes. So important. And then our final takeaway is to encourage you challenge you maybe to surrender to disorientation, fear, and grief rather than resist it so that you can lean into being part of the metamorphosis that is elevating humanity rather than to stay stuck in a state of paradigm attachment disorder that might keep you in a victim state, in a in a state of feeling powerless, in a state of feeling constantly angry and scared. That doesn't, that's those states of, of mind and heart and spirit do none of us any good. They don't do us any good as individuals and they don't do, don't do us any good in our relationships and they don't do us any good in our capacity to be a positive, a positive influence in the world. The only good it does is is it's good at causing suffering. And I think we've had all the suffering that we need to have. <laughs> right. And so that leads us to a little teaser for our next episode, which builds on what we've been talking about in this episode, which is about navigating the upheavals, the uncertainty, uh, and the constantly shifting messages we're getting with grace. So that's what you can look forward to in our next episode. And in the meantime, until then, remember to dance with your better half, the one thing. <laughs>